Now, now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Want an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news and trends in the NBA? Listen to the NBA Daily Ding podcast Monday through Friday. Wake up and turn up the NBA Daily Ding to stay informed on all things NBA here at The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Athletic NBA Show. Monday through Friday on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Tanning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with the tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that what I decided? I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I am not Sam Amick. I also never thought I would have to say that sentence in my entire life. Uh, I'm Andrew Schlecht. With me today, I've got Fred Katz, beat writer uh, for the Wizards at The Athletic. Hello, Sam. (laughs) Got Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer at The Athletic. I want some internal like Kings news and drama and sourcing about the Kings right. to know uh, that you're really taking Sam's place. Right, some buddy healed specials here. Uh, today we're going to cover eight questions on the playoffs. And with us for our first couple questions is Mike Smeltz. He's a podcast producer here at The Athletic. He also hosts the Athletics Nets podcast, The Glue Guys. Mike, what's up? What's up? And if you were a Dr. Seuss book, you'd be called Sam I'm Not. Sorry. Oh, by the way, sorry. Oh, what an introduction, Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So our first question is: Have we learned anything about the Nets in this first round series? We'll start with Mike. What What have you learned as a Nets observer? Well, so the the two sort of things, you, both good and bad, that you've learned about the Nets, and if you had been watching the Nets during the year, and there were rare glimpses of the big three actually playing together on the floor. What you've learned for sure is that they can play together and they can produce, you know, sort of extremely efficient offense, right? And even though times it can get bogged down into like one-on-one basketball, still those are three of the best one-on-one basketball players in the world. So even if it doesn't, you know, look as as beautiful as the team Anthony covers, the, the Warriors at their peak, it's effective, efficient basketball. Um, I think, though, in, in it's 3-1, the Celtics-Nets series. There, there's still got to be concern because you look, you know, defensively, there's just too many stretches where the Nets sort of philosophy seems to be, I hope they miss, right? Like, I, like it's not pressure. 
They don't put pressure on shooters. They don't make the guy with the ball make have to make sort of a, a rush decision. The other team feels comfortable when they're playing on offense against the Nets. Um, and the Celtics had scoring problems in the series. And then they've also had moments where, you know, the Celtics scored plenty of points in game four. They just didn't stop the Nets. And obviously that can be the Nets thing the whole year. But the the, the defense question, which has been with them the whole year, continues. It just, you know, they can be good on defense. Um, but if they're going to continue to switch everything and Kyrie's going to be the guy that's going to get picked on, Kyrie can only be so good on defense, even if he wants to be. So I, I think that's a huge it's like we're still learning about the team. They're still forming, right? But offense fantastic and defense bad. That's basically what we've learned. I've learned that their uh, main guys are healthy uh, through four games, which can't be said about the other team that uh, we had questions about coming into the playoffs, the Lakers, right? You're already seeing it with Davis. Um, the fact that Durant has played four pretty high-minute games and looks like himself, Um physically is important obviously Kyrie Harden coming back from the hammy you never know how quickly a hamstring type thing is going to pop up it hasn't popped up that's important I do think the Jeff Green injury and this says a lot about the Nets uh, you know maybe supporting cast that hurts right I mean if Jeff Green is limited or can't play in the Milwaukee series like that is uh, you know a guy to throw at Giannis maybe physically their best guy to throw at Giannis um, and he's hurt although DiVincenzo on the other side is not going to play um and then other than that Blake Griffin can still dunk we've we've learned that um although I don't know where where you guys are at on Blake I don't think he's necessarily had that good of a series but he has had a couple you know dunks that made you feel a little bit vintage for he's gotten picked on defensively uh he's 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 a problem for them defensively to me I think that's almost where the Jeff Green injury shows the most where they play those lineups with Green at the five, and those lineups can be really successful, where Green started playing five like three years ago. Uh, and and those lineups can be really successful when they play them there. Uh, to me, the thing that I went into the playoffs wanting to know about them, we knew they were going to be awesome. We knew those guys were going to figure out some way to make it work and work at an elite level offensively. But what I kind of wanted to know, especially with the defensive issues that Smeltz mentioned, is – how much could they make it work offensively? Like, would they be elite or would they be historically elite offensively? And in 81 playoff minutes, when they have Harden, uh, Durant, Kyrie, and Joe Harris on the floor, they are scoring against Boston 141 points per 100 possessions. <laughs> which feels is light, actually. It even feels Which is, light. for perspective, like, I didn't know that a number that high existed. Like, I didn't no. know that you could do that. Uh, it's completely outrageous. During the regular season, those four guys, when they played together, were 125, but they only played seven games together. So so we really didn't have a huge sample on it. We still don't. Boston's defense was, was you know, had troubles during the regular season when they were at full strength, let alone without Jalen Brown. And, uh, you know, it's not like they're doing this against a tremendous defense. I don't think we have the answer, but... But for perspective, I mean, I think the team that this offense gets compared to all the time is the one that's later covered, where which was just the KD Warriors, which was a bunch of incredible offensive players with wonderful and diverse skill sets coming together to make this perfect scoring machine, right? And that was Curry, that was Draymond, that was Clay, and that was KD. In a single season, over the three years those guys played together, those four guys, when they were on the floor together, 
their best single season offensive rating when the four of them were together was was 122 points per 100, which is outrageous. I mean, that's an unbelievable number. That would be by far the best offense of all time if that number belonged to a single team. But it puts in perspective how much that lineup has been absolutely annihilating Boston with the 141 in 81 playoff minutes. Uh, so this is the steroid era for for offensive numbers, though. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But but compared to crazy, compared to the steroid crazy. era, if this is the steroid era, then what 141 offensive rating is 2004 Barry Bonds. You know, yeah, I was going to say yeah, Barry Bonds. playing with Conseco <laughs> and McGuire. You know, when, when right. they were the best. Like yeah. it's it. it I mean, so that's the thing. Like people, you will see the complaints that the offense doesn't have flow at times, and I, I'm, I'm sort of like, well, it, how much flow do you really need? You know, because if the ball's in Harden's hands, and Harden has been really good about not being too much of Houston Harden. Now he is that when he's the lead dog on the bench units. When Nash goes to Harden as the solo star on the floor in the second quarter. It's a little, it's a little too much Houston Rockets. Everyone else stand around and Harden dribbles the ball between his legs, right? But when they're together, they do. I, they both, they, all three of them understand that they try to get off their shot, and if it, if they, it's not there from them, they'll just pass it to Kevin Durant, who ends up being open. There was an amazing moment in the Boston game last night, where the ball, it was as the big three plus Joe Harris, and the ball was moving around the three point line. Boston is running at each of the stars as they pass the ball along. Durant gets the pass. He's open from three and passes it up to Joe Harris, who's open in the corner for three. And it's like, you know, Slater, you've probably seen this when when Durant was playing with Curry and Thompson. But a guy like Kevin Durant giving up the ball from three, an open three, to give it to another player who happens to be Joe Harris, it it also shows you, like, we don't talk about Joe Harris, right? But he's shooting 50% from three. And if he's shooting, he's basically, they're they're clay essentially. Right. Um, and he doesn't move. You know, he doesn't need to move defensively. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's the legendary screenshot from one of the Warriors games where it's like Curry driving in the lane, and it's Durant wide open on the wing, and Clay Thompson wide open in the corner, and they're pointing at each other, like you know, Steph pass it to that guy, Steph pass it to that guy. That's essentially, uh, you know, kind of what it is. I guess the East Coast version. Um, but I mean. We obviously don't have answers on Brooklyn, which we're mentioning in seven regular season games. A really depleted, kind of bad Celtics team right now that they're about to dispose of. We're going to learn a whole lot in the next couple of weeks. And that's, you know, as we look ahead, I mean, that's going to be, you know, th- this second round series coming up, Nets, Bucks, kind of reminds me of when Warriors, Rockets, when it was like, you know, they were kind of clashing. Like that is a heavyweight, like finals level potential battle in the second round. Yeah. I mean that, that Milwaukee defense is engineered to guard a team like the Nets because I mean, the way that Giannis defended Giannis was incredible. I just called him. I, I, I did say Giannis. I think I coughed as I was saying Giannis. I just want to be sure. clear. I did not say Giannis. Uh, no, he was incredible guarding Jimmy Butler in that series. Just just amazing. And now he's probably going to end up matching up against Kevin Durant in that second round series, assuming Brooklyn pulls this out, uh, which I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, you, you got Holiday, who is an absolutely spectacular one on one defender and is incredible navigating screens and will be a. <laughs> is basically an ideal Kyrie Irving defender. Uh, and you can get Middleton on on Harden. I'm going to be super interested as well. We talked about the Nets small ball lineups they like to use, even like I'm considering Griffin at the five, a small ball lineup too. 
Brooke Lopez is basically disposed of three pointers the last three weeks. He's just gone down low and just pounded it. It's it's like we're getting his career trajectory is so fascinating. Where he was all post and then all threes. Now apparently he's Fred basically loves the Lopez brothers. I'm fascinated by the that Lopez brothers. Fred more than the, the Lopez. <laughs> that is true. They both had such weird career trajectories and it's just this crazy winding stories of 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 them kind of weaving between different identities every season it's very strange uh but but fred actually went to palo alto to do some like <laughs> studying and research on early days I uh, lopez i should have man if the world were normal you know there's a 100 percent chance i would have done that story this year <laughs> yeah. i would have been in palo alto for like three weeks i would have been i would have been like five percent invested in some sort of tech company by the time i left that's how long i would have been right. there for um but but Lopez is is pounding down low. It's going to be really interesting to see what he does against uh, the Nets small ball lineups and how Milwaukee plays that. Uh, I know it's a little premature to get into a Milwaukee Brooklyn preview, but um, that next series is it's a much bigger test for Brooklyn and could be. I mean, that's the series of the second round. Yeah, uh, let's move on to our next question, and it's about. Two teams and two different conferences, so this isn't necessarily about a matchup, but it's it's more about two teams that have young elite point guards. Uh, and so, give me your take. Do you think the Hawks or the Grizzlies have a brighter future ahead of them? I think the Hawks because they're in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, as I think about the West next season, the season beyond, like you're still like you know trying to figure out Memphis fitting in that eight. Although, you know, it was 10 this year. They were actually ninth, right? Finished mm-hmm. the season ninth, played their way in. Um, and as you, you know, look forward to next season, there's not necessarily teams above them where you're like, Memphis is on the way to hopping them. Now, John Morant has exploded. Um, you've raised the ceiling of him, just like you have with Trey Young out east. I actually, you know, Jaron Jackson hasn't had a good season, obviously, coming off the the meniscus tear. Um, really, that he, he was absent a lot longer than expected. He didn't come back till late in the season. He's been a little bit rusty. He's, there's been times where they played, you know, Xavier Tillman over him down the stretch of games, and um, they're trying to kind of fit him back in. So to me, Jaron Jackson's future makes me a little bit more like questioning Memphis and particularly their place in a crowded West. Whereas with the Hawks, as you look forward, um, I think they've surrounded Trey Talent, Trey Talent, Trey Young with with like kind of the correct talent, and they're in the East, right? I mean, they're in the four five matchup, and 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 even if they are the same level as Memphis, that just makes you like the fourth or fifth seed in the East, where it just doesn't in the West. I think I agree. I think I'll say Hawks. Um, I think I think the Grizzlies have have the higher ceiling, but the Hawks are the safer pick, uh, just because I I think Ja has a chance to be the best player out of either of those teams. He's he's truly spectacular. And if he adds some semblance of a jump shot, uh, which which he's it's not like his jump shot is horribly broken or he's horribly away from it. It, it killed the Warrior season because they went into that uh play in, you know, do or die game going, we're giving Jod Morant the three pointer. And now he hit a career high five in the game, which is crazy that his career high is only five. But he hit five in that game, and like that, you know, that was the biggest moment of his career to that point. And he hit five. Yeah, we yeah. Were, and not yeah. not to get to. I mean, Moran is obviously so young, but Fred, you watch John Wall for a lot of years. Um, where like where do you tier the the jaw shot in terms of like speedy athletic point guards in the bucket of like young Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, 
John Wall. Like there's this archetype of this ultra athletic point guard who doesn't have a really good shot. I would Josh shot to me feels stronger than Westbrook's obviously. And, and even better than walls. I mean, wall got better from mid range at some point, but I don't know. I, I think there's more potential there. Like, I think there's a, there's a, there's a place where like he could be at 35% from three eventually. And it, it feels like kind of comfortable. Yeah, I think I think Jaws farther along. I think the big difference is like the guys you mentioned. Westbrook had uh, man, man. Maybe I should be covering Jaws because apparently I cover every athletic point guard. He doesn't shoot jumpers. <laughs> right. uh, Westbrook always had the problem with his legs. His legs dangled, and that that brought him off balance, and 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 that that hurt his shot. He also basically shot a line drive, and Wall fundamentally. The worry with Wall, which he still hasn't quite fixed, is that his three-point shot is different fundamentally than his mid-range shot. Uh, he basically shoots more of a set shot from three-point range, and and I think that's something that he never quite. He always tried to iron out, and he he could never quite get comfortable, and could never quite do it. Uh, and and when you have two different shots, with you know, depending on your distance, you you shoot the ball differently. That's usually a bad sign. You're not going to necessarily work it out. And and Wall hasn't really done it. He's he's had seasons where he's been okay, but he's inconsistent from year to year. I I would say that I think Ja is more consistent fundamentally and farther along fundamentally as a as a shooter and looks more comfortable. Um, I I. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he all of a sudden came in in a year or two or three and was hitting a respectable amount of threes at a at a decent volume. I mean, we could ask the same questions about De'Aaron Fox. I kind of feel the same way about about Fox, even though he's older than than Ja, and I think Ja probably has more potential. I think he's more of a passer and um, is more explosive, while Fox is more of just kind of a, a speedier, quicker guy, but. I think Ja. I just feel like Ja is going to work it out. He's man, what what a what a talent. But that said, I'm going the Hawks, I guess, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the East is is so much easier Softer. to climb up. I mean, they're already yeah. they're already on the verge of winning a playoff series. They're up three one. I mean, they're they're on the verge of winning a playoff series already with this core, and and presumably Trey is gonna get better and more manipulative as a point guard, and they got to figure out the John Collins situation because he's restricted after this year. But but they've got Capella uh, for a few more years, and he's tremendously important for them. And they didn't have a lot of guys this year. They had a lot of injuries, and DeAndre Hunter was looking like a most improved candidate before he got hurt. Bogdanovich is a great fit for them. Gallinari can still play. Um, I, I could see them being better next year than they were this year, as long as they're able to just stay healthy. They didn't even have Chris Dunn. Yeah, I mean, I think for yeah. for the Hawks, it's like they made all the big moves. Trey is better right now. Um, Trey's a more dynamic offensive force right now. He has a better supporting cast right now. And the Hawks, I mean, everyone is, Hawks fans have talked about this for decades probably, is that like at some point, the hope is Atlanta becomes a destination for free agents. It's it has really never been in terms of superstar free agents, but it has the potential where you know Memphis doesn't really have that level, and Memphis has been way more successful over the past decade than the Hawks have been. But in terms of getting that next star next to Trey Young or next to Ja, you would definitely put Atlanta over Memphis. The thing that Memphis, like the only way I could see Memphis sort of sort of breaking through in this race between these two teams that we're laying out 
is if they have that weird season where, like, let's say Ja gets hurt and they're in the lottery and they get a lucky lottery ball bounce and they end up getting a stud prospect and then, you know, then then it becomes Jaron Jackson, Ja, and it's probably another J name. Whoever, another J prospect would come along in the three Js, the flying Js, if you will, and they're off and running. But, like... <laughs> It's a, it's supposed to be Jackson though, right? That's supposed to be it's Jackson. To be. And it just hasn't has, been. He's, he, um, the idea of him is better than what he has been. And there's been injuries and he's young and, but he hasn't been that, you know, he hasn't been that production. And the front office has shown that they're really good at drafting players. They're really good at it in, in the middle of the first round. They're great at grabbing yeah. guys. So, you know, it, maybe they don't have to be high up in the lottery. Maybe they can find, you know, of course, the lot the the draft is littered with guys who are way better than their draft slot ended up being. But yeah, it's Atlanta's just so tantalizing. The only issue they had a coaching change this season. Travis Schlank was quote unquote like on the hot seat ish, from what we understand. So is organizationally, are they as stable as maybe what's happening in Memphis? I I don't know that, but Atlanta has definitely there's been some heat in Atlanta. Um, and they've, we've already seen a coaching change. So maybe things could happen there, like structurally, that just changes things differently. Yeah. I tend to agree with you guys about Atlanta having just a higher ceiling overall just because they are in the Eastern Conference. And if you fit, if you put Memphis in the East, I think they could be doing similar stuff over there against a team like the Knicks, who are a team that seems like they're about done. And Great segue. And uh, our our guy, Mike Smeltz here is the (laughs) mastermind behind this podcast called Shattered. I don't know you guys. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. I'm sure most of you have listened to it. If you haven't, you need to go check it out. Uh, Smeltz, uh, tell us a little bit about Shattered and kind of the journey that we've been through with that podcast. Yeah. So Shattered is a documentary style podcast. It's about the past 20 years of the Knicks. And usually when I say that, Anyone who knows basketball is like, yeesh, um, don't do that. Don't talk about those years because uh, those are the Dolan years. So basically what we tried to do is f- track all of James Dolan's ownership of the Knicks from the end of the 90s Knicks. The 90s Knicks were always in contention. They were Jordan's foil earlier in his career, and then they would have classic battles against Pat Riley's Heat and Reggie Miller's Pacers in the back half of that decade. The Knicks in 1999 go to the NBA Finals as the eighth seed, and that is actually the first year that James Dolan is really inserted in as the head of the Knicks organization. And so each episode is like the the eras, the Isaiah Thomas era, the Phil Jackson era. My favorite episode of them all is about the decision in the Knicks' pursuit of LeBron. Um, And if you're a Sopranos TV show fan, there's a great bit of Sopranos history involved because they were part of the pitch to try to get LeBron. Um, It was, in fact, the last time that the two main characters from the TV show were together on screen in their characters. It was for LeBron. That's how powerful he is. Um, So, and then we go through and um, you, you, we kind of try, you, and what's interesting about the Knicks is that they haven't been horrible the whole time. They've been good. They've had moments where they get Jeremy Lin, right? And that was a month. That was great. Uh, Chris Stapp's Porzingis. What a fantastic draft pick. We talked to the front office executive in Phil Jackson's front office, who was the one who scouted Chris Stapps and who pushed for the pick and all that stuff. Um, but then the team just makes a 
a left turn. And why do they make that left turn? Who's at the wheel? Uh, we try to talk about that. So we just wrapped up the series, eight episodes this past Tuesday. From people who listen to this, it was a week ago. So, And that last episode has some fun, fun nuggets about how things are being run at the Garden. So there's a lot in there. It's super enjoyable. If you're a Knicks fan, Chuck D., from Public Enemy is the narrator. What a bad pitch. I, I didn't put Chuck D first. Chuck D should be first. Why am I saying anything? I should just say Chuck D, the Knicks. Uh, Chuck D is a delight to work with. Uh, more professional than me, obviously. Uh, yeah, no, but it's uh, it's fun. It's just a fun bass. It's why how to, how to not succeed in business, right? That's what this really is. So it's super enjoyable. Yeah. And now the Knicks are good. It's a great so podcast. You're welcome, Knicks fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we happen to pick the one year that the Knicks are good uh, to release a thing to talk about wh- why they haven't been good. Um, and but the Knicks are you know on a precarious place in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, you wonder why Julius Randle had such a great year. It's because you were working so hard on this podcast yes. all season, yeah. Mike. That's he's been a shadow. The podcast has concluded. Julius Randle's falling off in the playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. I, uh, <laughs> seems right to me. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And right after this break, we are going to talk about the Lakers and Suns. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, we're back from that quick break, and we're going to talk Lakers-Suns. And my question is, which injury will matter more in this first-round series? Is it Anthony Davis or Chris Paul? This this is really tough. Um, I've, I've already changed my mind 14 times since you actually asked it. Yeah. Uh, so so Davis is the better player so obviously so I'm I'm inclined to lean Anthony Davis and he missed the second half of game four and Chris Paul played pretty well in game four um but I think I'm gonna lean Chris Paul because I, I I assuming he's he's hurt and is unable to play you know if he's putting up 18 and nine every game it's different and if Davis is literally out compared to that it's obviously different but assuming they're the same state of injured I, I think the answer is Chris Paul and as you can tell I'm I'm extremely certain about that and if you disagree with me you're horribly wrong uh He's just, I know, I know. I'm about to disagree with you. I was going to say, I think Slater's going to disagree with me because he said that Chris Paul is not the best player on the Suns last week. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think Chris Paul is the most important player on the Suns. Um, And Davis is not the most important player on the Lakers. I mean, if you, if you dig into it, the Lakers were still, when LeBron is on the floor and Anthony Davis is not, the Lakers are plus eight per 100 possessions this year. Did you watch that game yesterday? Yeah. After he went out? Yes. It was quite ugly. It was quite ugly. But Chris Paul played well. It was. Chris Paul played pretty well. When when Chris Paul's not there, 
the Suns are not the same team. Even when Booker I mean, and look, Aiton are look, there, the Suns are basically an average team without Chris Paul. Yeah, but it okay, let's say you have full throttle Chris Paul and you just took Devin Booker out of this series. I mean, Suns are getting killed too. So I, I personally still think Devin Booker is the best player on Phoenix, but that is another conversation. I think the Davis injury matters more because it's the right now injury. You know, we don't, he might not play in game five. Uh, and even if he does, like, the, you know, that's a groin strain that happened as of us talking, like, what, like 20 hours ago? Yep. Chris Paul's shoulder is trending in the correct direction. Um, you know, and it was a stinger, but generally, like, it doesn't seem like a thing that he's necessarily going to re-injure unless maybe his neck gets kind of twisted in, in a similar type way. But, like, you know, they're going back to Phoenix. Two out of the final three are in Phoenix. Chris Paul progressed. Like, I actually thought Chris Paul was better in game three than he was in game two. Game two, he couldn't even, like, dribble with his right hand, couldn't pass at all. Game three, his numbers were not good. But that was kind of just a boat race by the Lakers anyways that I think was happening regardless. The way this series has kind of twisted and turned now to this point, Chris Paul is rising. The Suns are going back to Phoenix. And Anthony Davis, like, that did not look like a good injury. And it's been Achilles this season. He twisted his knee. He was actually questionable for the game with a knee injury. And then now he's got the groin strain. Um, He just looks really, really beat up. He just kind of has all season. And um, they are not a good offensive team, particularly when he's not on the floor. I mean, that. Right now, I'm looking, they're shooting 29% from three in this series. Um, and that's only better than the Wizards in this postseason. As Fred, I'm sure, has watched the Wizards just stroke it's, three. It's, in been, that it's been something. Yeah. Um, I just, like, if Davis isn't right, particularly if Davis doesn't play, I'm very worried about the Lakers. And yeah. and that that changes the, the title dynamic, really. Yeah, you're Without right. Without a doubt. You're right. I changed my mind. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, I just worry about the Lakers. I don't know what I don't know who they count on from here because it was always LeBron AD and they were going to carry them. And then you didn't need as much. But well, Dennis Schroeder hasn't looked right. Kyle Kuzma hasn't been very good in this series. They can't even play Montrez Harrell. I mean, essentially, they're relying on a guy like Wes Matthews. Like Alex Caruso has to be a big part of what they're doing. They just have no scoring punch, especially if Kyle Kuzma can't get in there and, and get buckets. I mean, who who is it? They're 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 three best players in the playoffs last season. Were obviously LeBron Davis, who was unbelievable, and then KCP, KCP was our third best player in the playoffs. He didn't even play yesterday. He's also injured right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I guess Gasol should probably rise to a bigger role. I think him and LeBron kind of have a nice little little combination. He threw him a nice alley oop kind of yesterday. But the other thing is. Did LeBron look like full LeBron to you guys? He doesn't to me. I mean, I know he's still kind of powering and willing the Lakers in in this situation, but he doesn't look like, you know, prime LeBron or even last season. No, he doesn't. He's not playing the same way that he did during the run last year. And the other thing is that they shot the hell out of the ball in the bubble last year. I mean, compared Mm -hmm. to what you normally expect from those kinds of players, like you talk about KCP was their third best player on that run, and I agree with you. He was making everything on that run, Uh, as were basically everybody else. Anthony Davis was shooting the hell out of the ball away from the basket. I mean, everybody was shooting incredibly well compared to their season averages on that run. And, uh, you know, that, that makes a big impact when you're going for a title, so... So, yeah, I mean, this is why I'm on the fence. I told you I changed my mind 14 times. I'm changing it for a 15th. Uh, you're, you're right. You're right. It's Anthony. D. I was thinking if we if we, uh, you know, uh, make it up and say they're equally injured. But, you know, based on the, the actual reality of things, uh, you're right. 
The yeah. one thing I would say about Davis, right? He's he has a history of of you know he, he gets injured, comes back, gets injured, comes back. I mean, there's a chance. Look, he he shows up in Game Five is great. They win in Phoenix, and then if we had a podcast the day after, we'd be talking like, here the Lakers come again. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions I had going into the series was about DeAndre Ayton and how aggressive he was going to be and how he'd play against some of these Lakers bigs. And he's been easily the best big guy in the series. And to to me, that's that's a a really big deal moving forward. For, he's been for great. These teams. He's been killer. He's 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 been so good around the rim for them, and he's finishing everything. Uh, Emic's not here, so I have a kind of diverging question that I just want to throw us off topic. Is that okay? Can I throw this out? It's there? taken this long for Fred to take the reins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wait till Sam's gone. And then I have which of the Lopez brothers has impressed us more? <laughs> right. <laughs> Are we ready for a Robin Lopez return to right. Phoenix? So how is much money do you think Garrison Matthews is going to get in restricted free agency this year, guys? <laughs> uh, no. OK. It actually is a free agency question. So everybody talks about Chris Paul as if he's on this huge deal and he's locked up for a bit and he's got the forty four million dollar player option that everybody just assumes he's going to pick up because it's forty four million dollars. If you're Chris Paul, don't you decline that player option this summer and become a free agent? Like the Suns have his bird rights and they can't lose him. Like they just yep. traded for him. They jumped up to the number two seed. He had a gr- as great of a year as you could have possibly wanted. Are you really going to piss off Devin Booker by letting him walk? They they have to pay him. And I know there are complications with the over 38 rule, but if you go three years, a hundred plus million dollars for Chris Paul, like you have to go into that territory if you're Phoenix, as opposed to just risking letting him walk. And then you're in serious trouble because now you just took a massive step back after you took a massive leap forward. Uh, you're no longer in the contender conversation. And I don't really know how you get back there. Uh, there might be ways to sneak into it, but no ways that are any easier than just re-signing Chris Paul. So, I don't know. Would you would you guys opt out if you were Chris Paul or would you take that $44 million player option? I mean, I would talk behind the scenes and try to work out something that is franchise and player friendly, uh, which I think what you're talking about can help the Suns in a sense of, yeah, yes, Chris Paul would have like some form of leverage, but also, um, you know, if, if Chris Paul's salary next season went from 44 down to 30 down to 28 but it's you know 28 plus you know rising over the next three seasons that helps phoenix at least next season shave a bunch of money off the off uh payroll so i think yeah i think it's probably wise for both sides to figure something out that's a little bit more longer term um but you know what mike was mentioning earlier with atlanta being a destination if they become a good team just because of what it is as a city phoenix is too you know nba players like spending their winners in phoenix um, and I could see them if, you know, this Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton pairing is what it looks like it's becoming. Uh, I could see that being a place where a third guy, a younger third guy than Chris Paul in the future does want to go there and play with those two. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he'll opt out. I think it's the smart business decision because there's no guarantees how, how long he'll be at this level and you're going to be paying for him at this level for, you know, three years beyond now. Uh, and that just makes sense. 
he's such a business guy though. He would only opt out if he literally has his next deal set. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. not going to opt out oh, and be like, let me definitely. take some free agent meetings and see what right. my value well, is. It's it would like, be the first out. time in NBA yeah. history that a player approached free agency that way, negotiating a yeah. deal before he <laughs> actually was, <laughs> was out. Right. It's never happened. I just mean, if he, if he, if he opts in, that'll tell you that like he knew like, no, nah, it's not like as great as yeah. I look this season, I'm not getting what I want. Uh, yeah, I think he will get what he wants, though. Like, I think he has all the leverage in that situation. Like, if you're if you're Devin Booker, and you're you're already on your max deal, how and and you love playing with Chris Paul, and you're you're finally winning at a ridiculous level, a level that's almost top of the league, you're gonna be pissed if they just let Chris Paul walk purely because. They don't want to pay him after he just had a tremendous year. That Chris Paul contract, by the way, is such an incredible lesson in perspective where everybody talks about contracts as if they're just in a vacuum, but no team that has traded for Chris Paul has regretted it. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, it was great for OKC. It was great for just that that one-year blip for Oklahoma City to get back into the playoffs. A lot of people didn't even think they'd make the playoffs. and then It's good for they, Houston, too. Yeah, oh, it was know, great originally. for Houston. Yeah. yeah, outstanding for Houston. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Uh, okay, let's let's go to our next question. Question number four: uh, The Clippers have flipped the momentum on the Mavs. Do we trust them to keep it? Yes, my title pick has awoken. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it. You know, we thought going into the series they were the better team. They were the favorite team. Yeah. Obviously, like what happened in those two LA games was like jaw dropping. Um, but uh, it's almost equally or more impressive to go down to or have to go on the road, go down, th- what were they down, 30-11 in game three? I mean, there was a moment it was like, are they about to get swept like mm-hmm. easily? Mm-hmm. And then now, uh, I think all three of us, we'll see what, what what you two say, but I would guess all three of us would pick the Clippers to win this series um, just with, with two back in L.A., although that home court obviously ha- hasn't, um, you know, shown itself in this series. But what well, – do we trust them? I think that that's kind of like the part of your question. Where I'm like, I don't know that any of us trust the Clippers to do anything at this point, but we, I think like I would pick them in the series for sure. 
Yeah, I agree. I'll pick them in the series. They were my title pick coming or they were my West pick coming into the playoffs. Uh, you know what's amazing about all this? That after game two and Andrew, you and I were even joking about it on uh, on one of our text threads about how after game two, Ty Lu said, you know what? The pressure wasn't on us. We were at home. It's easy yeah. to win the first two games at the road. Now they got to go back. They got to defend home court up 2-0. That's pressure. And we were all like, oh, my God, what a way to flip this thing, right? <laughs> and then he was right. That's, that's, yep. That is the remarkable thing I take from this. Uh, yes, I, I, I wouldn't say I trust the Clippers, but I think the Clippers are going to win this series. Uh, and I feel pretty confident in that. They seem to have figured out a formula. Uh, you know, Dallas in those first two games was just hitting every shot. They were shooting. I don't want to say it's an unsustainable number because you can get hot for a playoff series, but they they were shooting outrageous percentages. Uh, you know, we talk about injuries. Uh, Luca looked like he was grimacing. Uh, through yep. through that neck injury, the whole game last night, you could you could see him kind of twitching and making faces, and he did not look like the normal dominant Luca. And and Kawhi, man, he he is just attacking every time. Like he is just at the rim every play. He's been so insanely efficient, even in the games they lost. He's been so insanely efficient in this series and so effective getting to the rim. And based on the Mavs defense, I mean, I get, you know, they 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 played Boban against the Clippers small lineup yesterday as an adjustment. But against that defense, uh, I just I don't see a way where if Kawhi decides I'm going to get to the rim every time, I don't really see a way where Dallas is going to stop him from doing that. And I, I think he can continue to play like this. He's on the hunt right now. That's like I've seen this Kawhi before, right? We've seen it, uh, you know, originally against the Heat back in the day. But I, I remember that Raptors Warrior series as as the Warriors were were getting injured and kind of falling apart a little bit physically. Kawhi just got this kind of like it's just that like robot like assassin mentality that he, and um you know it's interesting. Dallas is I'm looking right now. Dallas is still tops in the playoffs in three-point percentages are at 43 percent and that's with going five of 30 in game four from three um which i think they were above 50 percent after three games and yeah i mean that is unsustainable they could get you know they're still a good you know floor spacing team three-point shooting team they could get hot and you know suddenly they win game five um and it and it's different like this is still the series i think to watch the rest of the first round but i don't know andrew where you at I, I lean toward the Clippers just being able to finish it. It's the the two things that Fred mentioned. Certainly the injury to Luca is the big deal. And he downplayed it, but then Carlisle said like no, like he couldn't look to his left. Like he couldn't he couldn't have his head on a swivel like he always does, which is like one of the big things about Luca's game. And to me that's a huge problem. And then like you said, getting to the rim. I mean, once the Clippers realized they could get to the rim whenever they wanted to. I feel like the series just changed. And so I don't I don't think that either one of those things will change. I think it's going to be hard for Luka to get fully healthy, which is what they need. I mean, they needed him to lead the playoffs in scoring in order to get there. You know, he was averaging 38 points per game before this game where he scored 19, he's 9 of 24. I mean, they need Luka to be the best player in this series. And I think it was clearly Kawhi. Uh, yesterday. And if Kawhi's the best player in the series going forward, I just don't see a path forward for the Mavericks. Which is this is where the 
Porzingis never, you know, blossoming into that like three point shooting rim protector that we all thought he was going to eventually be, particularly early in the New York days. Like if yep. if Porzingis had become who the Mavs obviously were hoping he was when they traded for him, like he would be, you know, kind of thwarting some of this stuff at the rim. But he's just not that. And like the, you know, that's to me that's that's wider scope problem for the Mavs to look at, you know, yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Uh, next question. What's next for the Heat? The Heat just get obliterated. Jimmy Butler is was very, very bad in that first round series against the Bucks. Uh, complete flip from what we saw in the bubble last season. So where did the Heat go from here? Obviously, they have lots of players that can still develop and get better. They've got to pay Duncan Robinson this summer, who will probably demand a pretty large contract. But But what's next for the Miami Heat, Fred? So they have a lot of cap space. Duncan Robinson presumably will take up a good chunk of that. I mean, he's going to look at the Joe Harris and the Davis Bertans deals from last offseason, and he is going to say that's where we're starting because that's what elite three-point shooters in my role get, and those guys got around $80 million total. So they're going to have to pay him if they want to keep him, and they can say go test the market because he's restricted, but I think that's where – they start, but they've got other guys. Dragic could be up. I think they have a team option on him. Uh, None is restricted as well. Uh, They always seem to want to build through free agency and they, they kept so much cap room for this summer for Giannis. And, and that's not really the case. You know, maybe they go after a Kyle Lowry or something like that, who they were reportedly in on at the trade deadline. Uh, To me, they feel like uh, waited out another year and then go crazy in 2022 free agency team. Uh, there, there are so many good free agents in 22. And so it almost feels like a holdover, fix, tweak some of the mistakes, uh, maybe bring in, you know, they were missing a, an extra defensive three-point shooter, that Crowder type that they had last year mm-hmm. who was so helpful for them down the run. Maybe bring in somebody short-term like that. Use your space to bring back Robinson, bring back none. Uh, and then you could potentially go in on 2022 and still have that cap room uh, when there are just so many good free agents. That's when you make your run for, um, you know, Beal or, you know, Kyrie could be a free agent then. Durant could be a free agent then. Harden could be a free agent then. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in those situations. Uh, And there are more guys as well. Aaron Gordon is up then. Julius Randle is going to be up then. Um, So that that to me feels like a very heat way to play the process. But but I'm not totally sure because they were an imperfect team this year. I mean, Slater, what do you say? Well, I got to interrupt real quick. Our Sham Sharani had just reported that Anthony Davis is unlikely to play in game five. So we answered the question correctly. See Anthony Davis injury. And without me, me and you did, Andrew, you're right. Me and you answered right. the, the question correctly. <laughs> no, once once the votes were due, I I've, I've, I, I had uh, seen the light. I came over. <laughs> so what are the, what's the Lakers play a, here? How do the, what, what do they do here uh, without AD? Powerball with LeBron. I think Marcus Soul deserves a bigger role. Um, and you know, like you know, I could theoretically see we're sitting here Tuesday night and like LeBron just had one of those just like kind of gritty control everything games. Like Gasol had a few threes to space the floor and played like this solid veteran style. A couple of the random, you know, Caruso has a decent night. Kuzma, Kuzma will probably like to me. He needs a big game. 
uh, he, he has that scoring potency in his past. Like he could have a 22 point night. He is kind of, um, Davis very light in a sense of, you know, he's kind of like a rangy, uh, forward. So like, you know, it, they they can game plan going in, you know, it sounds like behind the scenes they kind of know he's probably not playing. So I am not counting a LeBron team out. Um, but yeah, this makes it very difficult. Just I, to me, they got to win like a 95 89 game, which mm-hmm. they could because that's kind of what the series has been. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're going to have to step up defensively majorly. Like Caruso and Schroeder are going to have to be awesome against those Phoenix guards. I mean that's that's going to be really really important, and those guys are are both really feisty defenders. Um, yeah, they're going to have to be tremendous defensively, and yeah, I guess LeBron controls things. I think you need Schroeder to step up and and have some semblance of a big game. I mean, somebody has to have a big game to make up for Davis. Phoenix is too good, you know. Somebody, whether it's Schroeder, whether it's you know. Talon Horton I Tucker. Somebody Kuzma. Needs to do it. This is, Kuzma's a good this one. This should be Kuzma's moment in this series. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, let's bounce to our next question. And I don't even know what the question should be for this particular series, but I'm just going to throw it to you, Slater. Who you got, Nuggets or Blazers? Nuggets, because they have two home games, I guess. I don't know. This is a weird series. Um, I get... I'll take Denver. Uh, I don't like e- I, I don't like either of these teams moving forward, though. You know, yeah. really, uh, you know, into the next round. This is kind. Of, it feels a little Knicks Hawks like. Not that you know, obviously the Hawks have taken control of that series, but like Knicks Hawks are having this great battle with like these great arenas and and everyone's kind of locked into it. But it's like, you know, your guys are just walking to death against Philadelphia. Probably, I kind of get that sense with, with Denver, Portland. Although the West is, I mean, with this Davis situation and everything, uh, yeah, I don't know. But wh- who do you guys think? Yeah, tentatively Denver. Um, you know, Jokic was was so bad in that last game, and he's had a bad defensive series. Yeah, yeah, and just seeing a game with him having one assist and just unable to facilitate in the the Jokic-y way we know. Um, I just feel like we're not going to see that from him. He's historically been so good in the playoffs for them, and he's so important for them. I know they're missing guys. You know, People talk about Jamal Murray all the time, but Barton is really important for them too. Um, I, I still think Denver wins just because I have no faith in Portland's defense at all. And I feel like an MVP caliber player, which I think Jokic is because I voted for him for MVP. Uh, an MVP caliber player will will figure out that defense for two out of three games at home. Um, but he might not. So, or I should say Denver might not. I'm, I'm not extremely confident in that pick. <laughs> it's such a weird series because yeah. it's 2-2 and all the games have been bad. And normally in a 2-2 yeah. series, there's some contentiousness. There are moments. I haven't, I haven't really been great moments. Fred wasn't hyped about the Austin Rivers game. Oh, there was an I guess, Austin I, Rivers yeah, game. Yeah, Austin Rivers having 16 in the fourth was – that's a moment. That's <laughs> a moment. Doc, Doc then saying the next day that role players need to step up. Uh, I saw a role player in Denver step up last night. Was And I'm going to give him three years – 
45 million this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> He'd look really good in a Sixers uniform, right? Yeah. I don't know what I think about this. Yeah, I don't know what I think about this series either. I, some of it has to do with Nurkic's foul trouble moving forward, right? Because he's been really good for the Blazers. And I have to think that the Blazers, obviously the Blazers have another gear because you have this game where Damian Lillard makes one shot and the Blazers still win. And Dame shows up year after year in the playoffs. So to me, I kind of favor the Blazers just because of that. And it's, it is, I think it's, hasn't been a great series just because of the games. And I also think it's not a great series because we know who moves on to the next round is not likely to continue to move on. And so there's just kind of a lack of interest there for me overall. Wow. Yeah, I feel that. Inspiring segment of the podcast. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. That's why I don't know what the question is. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Portland-Denver series. I think it was second round a couple seasons ago um, where it was – you know, there hasn't been what, what Fred's right is in that game. Remember that game where Jokic played like 62 something minutes was like what, triple overtime, I think. Um, and then it got to game seven. Game seven was in Denver and Lillard kind of helped Portland pull that out. Um, and we could be heading to something similar to that. I mean, to be honest, maybe we should trust Portland more because Lillard is kind of the more trusting playoff player. He's proven it. He dragged them to, to the West finals that season. So, you know, at the same time, they then got swept in the West Finals. That's kind of why this series feels similar. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. look, the state of this series, going back to Austin Rivers, the state of this series there we go. is... Rides on Austin Rivers, right? Is, is that game three, Austin Rivers has made whatever it was, three threes in a row. And, and you had an Austin Rivers legit 28-foot heat check hit back rim with less than a minute remaining in a really close game. And that's where we're at with this series. It's, it's a very, it's a very different state with these two teams and the way they're playing against each other. Uh, Michael Porter jr. Is incredibly important for what it's worth. I mean, he has not dominated, really dominated this series at all. Um, And he was so good down the stretch of the season for Denver. If, if he gets hot, his jumper hits another level, that's something that could put Denver over the top two. And I think that's a weapon that Portland can't really match if he and Jokic are both going. Yeah. Well, and it's just a shame that they're missing Jamal Murray. And even like PJ Dozier is strangely important to There's the Oklahoma team. City reference right there. Yeah, for right. P- yeah. PJ Dozier. No, my number 35, PJ Dozier. <laughs> my bigger concern with the Murray situation is like, when is he going to show up next season? You know, I mean, like he's going to miss a yeah. large chunk of next season. And, and you know, that injury, just because of the timing of it, might have set Denver back two seasons, which, you know, again, we're, we're, we're ending on somber notes here. But. Right. Uh, let's go to another somber note. The, the NBA is kind of having a problem with some wild fan behavior. We've had the Westbrook popcorn incident, the Trey Young spit incident, and then we have the Kyrie Irving getting a water bottle thrown at him uh, at in Boston yesterday and we're kind of in this place where everybody's has their take on what the NBA should do and if they're doing enough, but uh, where are you guys at on how the NBA is, is acting um, on all of this? I think they're kind of doing as much as they can. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think this is an NBA problem. I think it's a people are jerks problem. 
And I think human. I think it probably extends to that only. I mean, the NBA has acted swiftly. They banned fans. Uh, the guy in, uh, you know, Shams reported last night that the guy in Boston who threw the water bottle was 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 arrested. Um, you know, I, I don't know what what more you can do other than literally moving fans away from the court, which they're not going to do because then they can't charge for courtside seats. Um, so I, I don't know realistically what the NBA would do in a scenario like this beyond what they've already done, which is not to say that, you know, this, this crap is, isn't ridiculous. It's just, I think the NBA has handled it fine. Uh, you know, after it happens. Yeah. I mean, Fred mentioned like maybe moving, you know, the idea of like moving fans away from the court side, they're already farther away than they've ever been because, you know, obviously this COVID situation where like, you know, think about how much more space there is now around the players in the bench area. It's almost like, hard to fathom remember when like there would be like courtside fans between the coaches and the scoring table um or you'd be like taking it out although you're seeing it somewhat still in some of these arenas like you know you're taking it out of bounds on the other side and trey young is close enough where somebody could uh spit on him which is disgusting but um i i mean fred's correct like this is a human issue uh, like you know <laughs> and and that could go in a lot of different directions as we talk about kind of state of the country uh but yeah people need to solve it. The NBA can't really solve this. I mean, we we have to get to a place where it's okay to congregate publicly without people having to worry about some of these situations. And that's on us collectively to fix, not necessarily the NBA to fix, I think. I mean, could you put up netting or glass? Is that a ridiculous solution, like in a hockey game or something? If yeah. it gets to that, I mean, it's just it's just sad. It's a that would be such it's a, a depressing. <laughs> that would be, be so depressing if you had to do that. I mean, that would be so depressing. Yeah, I don't, I don't see well, that happening. Just like what a what a great end to this podcast, right? Thanks, let's, segment to this. Let's point. end on a let's end on a better note here. The Bucks, who have been incredible, who have kind of overcome what's what seemed like. I mean, people wouldn't even consider at times like Giannis for MVP like no we need to see him proven in the playoffs but he's he's proved it so far through one round and right now BetMGM gives the Bucks the third best title odds behind the Nets who are the who are first and then the Lakers who are second and with the Anthony Davis injury who knows like they could be second in title odd favorites you know here very soon uh, but do we think that's right could you see a world where Giannis is holding up the trophy in July. Yeah, I could see it. I I, I feel like uh, S- Slater and I all season on this podcast have been kind of the the devil and the angel on the Bucks' shoulder. I, I think I'm misusing devil and angel on the shoulder. I think he's just been more critical than I have. Uh, but <laughs> hater and advocate. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Uh, but I I I think it's right. Just because the Bucks have, I mean, look, the Lakers are always going to be high up in betting because Lakers fans bet a lot and move the lines, uh, and and I think the Bucks have a tougher path. So, uh, you know, you look at, I mean, I could I could see justifying having the Sixers with with higher title odds than the Bucks, just because the Sixers get a second round opponent of probably Atlanta which I think they're going to beat and I think they could beat pretty handily. 
And the Bucks, meanwhile, have to go through the Nets and then probably the Sixers. Uh, so even if they beat the Nets, I mean, just the chance that they could realistically lose to the Nets. They could realistically lose to Philly, even if they're the favorites in that series. Um, and and so I think it's just it's a tougher path for them. So they they did everything they needed to do in that Miami series. They were awesome. But look, they have they don't have an easy path. I think uh, you know, getting having the best record in the league is important for a reason. Uh and and Philly just has an easier path than them. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly the point I would have made, which is just, you know, Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee's odds are misvalued, I think, just because they have to face each other and then in the Philly. Um but to answer your your wider question, Andrew, yeah, sure. I mean, even the the number one hater of Milwaukee on this podcast apparently uh, could see them winning it because they look like a. I mean, they looked like the best team in basketball in the first round. Um, Miami wasn't Boston. You know, they're playing Brooklyn in the second round. To me, Miami's a tougher opponent than Boston was for Brooklyn, and they just disposed of Miami very easily, swept them, um, and did that against like they're demons, right? I mean, that was the bubble demons they were staring at. And for them to slay it like that, like it has to kind of make you, you know, pay a, a bit more attention to them. Drew Holiday um, has been every bit what they hoped he would be. And and that just, you know, the Drew Holiday getting the Eric Bledsoe minutes just raises their ceiling so much higher. Um, I could see them getting out of the East. It's, it is, it's, it, they're probably, you know, from here on, they're going to go, let's say what, Brooklyn, Philly, Lakers, Brooklyn, Philly, Clippers, you know, that's winning those three straight series is rough though. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think Drew Holiday is certainly just an outrageous addition to them. He's been very, very good, but having guys uh, come off, like Bobby Portis has been good for them off the bench. He's hitting threes. He brings a tenacity to them. Brent Forbes has been hitting his threes. He's been very, very good for them. And then PJ Tucker, I think you can't underrate what PJ Tucker has been able to do for them and what he will be able to do for them against the Nets. You know, they're going to need they're going to need all of their top guys and I think PJ Tucker is a guy that brings a, a ton of grit and experience and I I can't wait for that series. That may be the best series that we get uh this playoffs. They are really well matched to defend the Nets. They they can go so many different directions. I mean, you know, I mentioned Lopez earlier playing the five, but like you said, Andrew, they they've been switching a lot more this year, and you can play Tucker at the five, and you can go with a lot of switches. and And honestly, those lineups are going to be really reminiscent of those Houston Golden State series defensively, where Houston was switching everything against Golden State, and uh, you know, it was it was incredible to watch offense that amazing versus defense that amazing, uh, and it's. That is an unbelievable second round matchup. It, that is going to be high level, incredible basketball. You you know, and Budenholzer is just coaching, I think, with a bit more urgency too. And maybe that's mm -hmm. just for job security reasons. But you know, he put in game one, which was the close game of that Miami series. Uh, and I know it went OT, but he played Giannis forty five minutes, so it, at least forty in regulation. Yep. He wasn't doing that in the playoffs. That was one of the big things Milwaukee fans had an issue with. Like, why is Giannis playing this like regular season, like 34, 35 minute total when in the in the bubble it felt like Giannis's future was on the line and he was still uh, doing that. So it just those small marginal gains takes them to a different level. Yeah, no doubt. Uh 
Thanks so much for listening to the show. Sam will be back next week, which will be great. Thanks so much for listening, Fred, Slater. Appreciate you guys, and we will talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.